We are at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is the last chapter in the letter, the first letter to the Corinthians that Paul is now writing to them. And he's going to be very specific in this very first letter in the way he closes. Now you think about it, when you're writing a letter to somebody and you're going to close now, you're going to come to the conclusion of that letter that you are writing, or maybe today an email because we don't write a lot of letters now, but you want to close with such a strong now point. And he's closing now this letter, but he wants to remind them what a mission-minded servant looks like. Today's message is titled, The Mission-Minded Servant. The Mission-Minded Servant. You see, he wants to teach us what it means to be a mission-minded servant. You know what Paul's done in the last chapter, even as he concluded in chapter 15, talking about the resurrection? In the very last verse of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians 58, he says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, my loved church, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Don't let nothing move you. Don't let nothing shake you. Be unshakable. Be unmovable. Be strong now in the Lord. Immovable. Always abounding. Always abounding in every season of your life. You can always be abounding. In the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in, is not in vain in the Lord. Well, isn't that amazing that to know that we can continue working even through opposition, even through trials, even through attacks, we can be steadfast. That's exactly when you, when you start to see a changed life and you start to notice their life. And there's a lot of ups and downs in our journey with the Lord, right? There's a lot of trials, there's temptations, there's, there's all these things that are taking place in our life. He reminds them because you know your destiny, your future destiny, because you know the resurrection, because you know about eternal life. Now you can be steadfast. Now you can be strong. Nothing and no one can move you knowing that everything that you do for God is never in vain. Because what you do for God matters. What you do for God today matters for eternity. And maybe you think about what does labor mean? It means exhaustion. It means the blood, sweat, and tears of what you do, what you go through every day to serve God. It matters for eternity. But a part of that labor, I want you to know, part of that labor of love that he's talking about is now he's going to move into chapter 16 talking about the mission-minded servant. Part of the labor that you're doing for God is now the labor of love, the responsibility, and the privilege in our generosity. I want to talk today about really the power of generosity. And with that, start by saying thank you for your generosity. Because it's your generosity, it's your faithful giving throughout the entire year that makes this ministry possible. We know and we studied before that we are never more like Jesus than when we love than when we serve and that when we give. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world. What did He do? He loved so He gave His only Son. Giving is a part of God's character and so should it be for you. If giving is a part of the character of God, it should be a part of the character of this church because we're never more like Christ than when we love, than when we serve, and than when we give. In fact, our generosity... When we give, it's very life-giving as well. I want you to know that. Because it, it really creates space for ministry and for the gospel. Every time you give, you're making an impact for the kingdom of God. 
And that's exactly what he wants to tell them right now in chapter 16. Every time you give, you're making an impact for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. I remember when we were first praying in regards to taking a small Bible study on Tuesday nights that was taking place in our living room (laughs) to move it out and do Sunday morning services. And I was praying and we were wrestling about this, whether or not, what are we going to do? We don't have anything to be able to, to run or function as a Sunday service now at a community center. And praying and asking, and Lord, is this of you? Lord, do you want this to take place? Is this a, a space that you want us to fill with your word and with people here in this area in San Gabriel Valley? And after praying and praying, you know, I remember that then we, we started to say, Lord, we don't have the funds to do this. Lord, we don't have the sound to do this, the equipment to do this. And, and I'll tell you, it was one person that went up to me one day. And he said, you know what, Art? I know what you're praying for. And God's put it in my heart, in my wife's heart, to pay for four months of rent at the community center. And four months of your insurance. And then on top of that, I'm going to give you a sound system as well. So that you can start the Sunday morning services. <laughs> Whoa, isn't that an awesome just praise report of what God's faithfulness looks like? Because that's what it looks like to create space for ministry, our giving. Uh, and I think about how God used this couple so that we can jumpstart now this ministry. And, and uh, I want you to realize this. They don't even come to this church. <laughs> and then after started to hear just, just seeing different checks come in the mail so that we can fund the ministry and start to know that God has called you as a church to not be a consumer in the church, but be a contributor. Not just a consumer, but be a contributor of what God is doing in his house. And in time and time again, we can go through different stories of what's taking us now to the very place that we are now because people like you have taken ownership and saying, I am taking ownership of what's taking place in the house of God. I'm not just going to receive, I'm taking ownership. I am an owner in what's taking place in the house of God. And Paul here is going to tell them, I want you to realize that the church is just bigger. It's much bigger than just you here, church. It's much bigger than just these walls. It's it's a worldwide fellowship. And because it's a worldwide fellowship, because the church is beyond just the walls of the church, there's also a worldwide responsibility. Do you remember yesterday when we went, there were several churches now baptizing, and we actually even joined one to baptize with them? It teaches us that the body of Christ is much bigger than this place. And he wants to remind them the body of Christ is much bigger than just Corinth. There is a worldwide fellowship and therefore there is a worldwide responsibility. I I want to give you here, Paul is saying, a wider horizon, now a bigger worldview when it comes to outreach. How does your outreach worldview look like? Does the outreach worldview that you have, is it small? Maybe today God wants to widen up, broaden up, give you a, a bigger worldview when it comes to outreach. When it comes to outreach. You see, because when our worldview for outreach is small, so also will our giving and generosity be small. There is so much power in generosity, I want you to know that. And I'm going to give you six points in in regards to what Paul is going to tell us in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians as he closes and he ends now this letter. We might not be able to go through all six today, but he, we will go through them. And the first one is that the servant of the Lord or the mission-minded servant, number one, is always giving to the Lord's work. The mission-minded servant, number one, if you like taking notes, it's always giving to the Lord's work. Number two, the mission-minded servant is always planning 
for the future. And I really hope that you would really take note of these because they're really going to stretch you and your capacity when it comes to being that mission-minded servant. Number one, always giving to the Lord. Number two, always planning for the future. Number three, always flexible in the will of God. That's a very important one. Are you flexible today? Paul was flexible. Are you flexible? Always flexible in the will of God. Number four now, always tenacious in the face of opposition. Never giving up in the face of opposition. Number four. Number five, always persistently serving. The mission-minded servant is always persistently serving. And finally, number, number six, the mission-minded servant is always a team player. I'm going to repeat them really quick. It's always giving to the Lord's work. It's always planning for the future. It's always flexible in the will of God. The mission-minded servant is always tenacious. In the face of opposition, is always persistently, presently serving. And is always a team player. Now he wants to encourage them with those six points so that they grow in their faith with the Lord. And the things that we're going to talk about today is so that we can grow in a relationship with God. So that we can grow as Christians. So that now we don't stay stagnant as, as infant Christians our entire life. But we know I'm a Christian, so I, I should always be given to the Lord's work. I should always be planning for the future in ministry. I should always be flexible in the will of God, whatever He has for my life. I should always be tenacious or never giving up. In the face of opposition, I should always persistently and presently be serving the Lord. And I should always be a team player. Now, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1 says this, Concerning, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let some, lay set something aside, each one of you, soaring up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it's fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can be steadfast and unmovable. We thank you because our generosity makes space for ministry. We ask, Lord, that you were brought in our view when it comes to outreach, that our worldview for outreach would get much bigger than what it is today, Lord. That you would open up our hearts, but also you would open up our hands. To be able to contribute to the work that you are doing, God. We thank you for the faithful giving of your church, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that also you would stretch us. That we would be always giving to your work. In Jesus' name. And together we said, church. Amen. Amen. Now it says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have commanded, or I have given orders. Notice this, that Paul already has given orders to the church of Galatia. In regards to what it looks like or what the church should give or how they should give or why they should give. And now it says here now concerning the collection for the saints. What saints is he talking about? He's talking about the saints or the church in Jerusalem. Now we know here and through history that the church in Jerusalem was a poor church. Not only was it a poor church, but it was a church that was going through some type of famine at that time historically. We know that Jerusalem was the epicenter of where the church began. Do you remember in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit fell upon that church? It was the epicenter of the church. But there were two reasons why that church had to become poor, it is believed. 
Number one, it is believed that they had become poor, the church of Jerusalem, because of the famine. And also because they partially had disobeyed in when God said, Go out of Jerusalem after you're equipped and make disciples. How many of us know that when God says go out and we stay in, we stay comfortable, God has a way of if He doesn't send us out, then He's going to push us out, right? And He'll push us out with persecution that it was happening at the church. He pushes them out with famine. He pushes them out with trials. He pushed them out because He said, I want you to go, but they stayed in. So now the Lord has a master plan as we've been talking about, and He pushes them out. However, there are those that are in need in the church of Jerusalem. Paul here tells the Corinth, I want you to do the same thing that I told the church in Galatia to do for the church in Jerusalem. Why is he saying this about the church in Jerusalem? I want you to know this. Because the local church matters. Because the local church matters. Because the needs of the church matter. And you see what he's doing here. He says that now concerning the collection of the saints, just like I gave orders. He doesn't say here, just like I gave options. <laughs> And I think sometimes when we come to church, we think that, you know, giving isn't, is optional. But no, when you are a Christian, and you're a believer, and you're saying, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not an option. Giving is in order from the Lord's Word to be able to give to His work. It's a responsibility. It's a privilege now. And it says, you know why He tells them this to the specific church of, of Corinth? Because they already had been giving. This is a giving church. And he said, I want you to continue giving. I want you to continue giving for the needs of the poor. I want you to meet the needs of the church in Jerusalem. I want you to make sure that, that the needs are being met. But he gives this word, collection. Collection. And I want you to know that that word in verse 1, collection, he's giving a sense to an extra type of giving. Collection. It's called an extra collection now if you study this verse. And it refers to the idea that this wasn't the collection or, or, or the regular gathering of the offerings. This was something above the regular giving for the poor church and the saints in Jerusalem. I want you to essentially say here, I want you to do what the Galatians have been doing. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 10 it says, They desired only that we should remember the poor in Jerusalem, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now he's saying, I want you to be eager to go above and beyond and start to meet the needs of the local church. I want you to be eager to go above and beyond and start to meet the needs of the local church. What does this tell us about Paul in just one verse? What does this speak about Paul in one verse? Number one, he was aware of the needs around him. It's interesting that sometimes we think that there are no real needs around us. I want you to today to know that there are real needs around in the local church. There are needs. If you look around, there are needs. The reason why we're here is because there are literally physical needs that must be met so that we can meet and hear God's Word. We see that he was aware of the needs around him. Not only was he was aware of the needs around him, but number two, he was confident. He was confident about God meeting those needs. It's amazing. Not only do we know that there's needs around us, but we can become confident that God will meet those needs. And also, not only was he aware and confident, but also he was available. Say, Lord, use me so that we can meet the needs of those around us. Are you today aware of the needs that are taking place in the local church? 
Are you confident that God's going to meet those needs? But not only are you confident, do you become available? Lord, I I am confident, but I'm also available. Lord, use me to meet the needs of the local church. This is what here Paul is telling the church of Corinth. I I, I know the needs. I'm aware of the needs. I, I am now confident that God's going to meet the needs, but I'm also available to meet the needs of the local church. Now he's going to tell us how he wants this to take place. I think this is so beautiful how we're, we, when you go chapter by chapter and you go verse by verse, you know that this is the chapter that God has for us this week. <laughs> and today he wants to teach us about how to go about when it comes to our giving to God. Now he says this in verse 2, on the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, and I want you to underline that because now he's going to go into systematic giving. On the first day of the week, let each of you Lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Lay something aside from what you already make, he's saying here, that there may be no collections when I come. Do you understand what Paul is telling them on how they should give? He said, I want giving to become personal. I don't want it to become like a bill. I don't want it to become like a duty, like a task. How many times have we thought, you know, oh, here, come the, here comes the bucket. Says, Let me just scramble. Let me get something together that I can give to God. No, he's saying, no, giving is not, sh- should not be that way. In fact, he's going to tell him a little later right now, I don't want you, I want you, I don't want you to even to take a collection when I arrive. I want that to already have been done before I get there. But he tells him, the first day of the week, lay something aside from what you make. Here he's going to tell them. And look what he's going to tell him as he says, lay something aside as what you make here, that he may prosper, that there be me no collections when I come. That you don't have to wait. To when someone tells you there is an opportunity to give, that you anticipate the opportunity to give. Why? Because our giving should not be out of pressure. Our giving should not be out of pressure that a bucket's going to come our way, that someone's going to pray for an offering, that, that someone's going to tell you that there are needs around us. No, our giving should never be out of pressure. Our giving should always be out of praise. Can you remember that today? Can you write that down? Our giving should never be out of pressure. Our giving should always be out of praise. It should come out of praise. Our giving should come out of privilege to know. And that's what he wants to teach them. Put something aside at home the first day. Put something, come ready with an anticipation, with an eagerness that I'm ready to give to the Lord. It should not be a last minute commitment. But it should be a heart that's ready to give. Why? Because you're giving, I'll tell you this, it's also a part of your worship. When we give to God, it's a part of our worship. We can't say we're worshiping God, but we never give for His work. He says what He wants to teach Him. Our giving is a part of your worship. Your giving is also it's a part of your thanksgiving. It's a way of how you say, Lord, we worship You. But it's also a way of how we say, Lord, we thank You. Your giving is a part of your worship. It's a part of your thanksgiving. But because we know it's in God's Word, our giving is also a part of our obedience. You see, when you give to God, you're saying, Lord, we worship You. Lord, we're thankful. And Lord, also we're giving an obedience to you. This is such an amazing portion of Scripture because it allows us to know why it's important to give. In the Old Testament, they gave actually a tenth. That was a pattern that God had given them. But not only did He tell them to give a tenth or a tithe, but He says, I want you to give the first tenth of everything that you make. Give it and set it apart for the Lord. In Deuteronomy 26, verse 1 and 2, it says this, And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you as is an inheritance, and you possess and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first, remember this, 
of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord God chooses to make His name abide. Take the first, the tenth, the first of what God has given you, the very first, and take it to the house of God. You see, He didn't say, you know what, take care of all your needs and then get the last, whatever's left over, and then if you want, then give it to the Lord. No, He said, take the first fruits. What does God teach us throughout Scripture, chronologically and systematically, when it comes to your giving? That God wants your first, and God also wants your best. Do you know that today? God wants your first, and He also wants your best. Now it tells us, as we continue reading in verse 3, in regards to this gift that they're going to take to the local church in Jerusalem. And when I come... Whomever you approve by your letters, whoever you say that is worthy or accountable to gather those offerings and come with me and is trustworthy will go with me to Jerusalem. It says here, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. And this is amazing that word gift he uses. Whomever you tell me through your letters when I get there will go with me as a trustworthy person that we can trust with those funds to take to the local church in Jerusalem. But he uses the word gift. You see, the word gift is the same Greek word that we know as, as of charis. It's the word charis, the word gift. It's the same word that we use as of to think about or to read or to interpret the word grace. So when we talk that grace is a free gift, it comes from the word charis. God did not ever charge you for His grace. Isn't that amazing? That God gave you His grace freely? The guy didn't say, I'm going to charge you all, I'm going to give it to you my grace limited. No, he freely gave you this grace. It was a free gift. Now, the reason why he uses the word charis when he talks about their offering as a gift, it's because he wants them to understand and for us to understand that it ought to be freely given. Isn't that amazing that he wants to encourage them them that? That it is a charis. It should be freely given. It's a gift. It's an offering that is freely given. Right? Out of freely loving the church towards the poor brethren in Jerusalem. This was an act of love. Your giving is an act of love that is freely given for the needs of the local church. Now it tells us in verse 4. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now he's saying for accountability purposes, I'm going to go with this person. You know, it's interesting to know. We study our current, you know, just... Now, studies. A 2018 nonprofit source, through doing research studies in America, in, in local American churches, say this. And I thought it was very alarming to be able to learn this. It says that tithers make up only 10 to 25% or givers in the normal congregation, only 10 to 25% of the average church in America gives. It's saying today Christians are giving 2.5% of their income. Whether as in the Great Depression, they were giving 3.5% of their income. Well, isn't that interesting to know that we as a church, as a whole church, were giving to the Lord more during the Great Depression than we are today. Why? Because we're living in a distracted time, possibly. Because we're living in a culture where it's all about now selfishness. It's all about us. You see, only 3.5% of Americans, studies say, give to their local church and do so on a regular basis. You know what the Bible says when it comes to giving? And here Paul is going to stress out about it. 
And he, it, he tells us, and we see through Scripture, that God does three things. He tells us three things in His Word when it comes to giving. Number one, give to God cheerfully. Give to God cheerfully. Number two, give to God consistently. And number three, give to God sacrificially. Give to God cheerfully with a good attitude, and not in a pressure, but out of praise. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, Let each one give as he purposes in his own heart, just like what God placed in your heart to give. Not grudgingly. Oh, don't say, oh, you know what, I'm going to give to God, and you know, I, just, I don't want to give, and, and I'm just giving out of obligation. No, not a, out of necessity. No, because someone's just begging you because there's so many needs. No, but give because God loves a cheerful giver. Number one, give to God cheerfully. Number two, give to God consistently. Through every season of your life, learn to give to the Lord. The Word tells us. In Acts 20, 35, Paul says this, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, just because I work with my hands. Paul's saying, I'm working a full-time job. Paul is teaching us here, even through Acts, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Give to God consistently. Give to God consistently. But what do we see Jesus talk about in Luke 21, verse 1? To give to God sacrificially, right? It said that Jesus, when he looked up and he saw a rich putting their gifts in the treasure, and he also saw a certain poor widow putting her two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put more than all for all of these out of their abundance put in the offering. But for, for God, but she out of her poverty in all her livelihood that she had, she gave even when she didn't really have. She gave sacrificially. She gave all her livelihood. She gave everything that she would. She poured herself out in the offering for the Lord. That's so awesome. Because your offering starts with your life. There was a story about, you know, that I heard my own pastor teach about. And he said it so many times. Of just a very primitive church that was just giving the gospel. And, and that was teaching the gospel. And uh, uh, just a native Indian of that area that had never heard the gospel walked into this little church. And was hearing now the gospel be preached. And when it was time to pass that basket for the offering, that that native that was so poor that had nothing to offer, put that basket on the ground and stepped in it and says, here, I am the offering. I might not have much, but I've become the offering. Doesn't that show us and remind us that we should give our time to God cheerfully? That we should serve God consistently? That we should even do it sacrificially? That is what the Word of God teaches us. Because what happens when you don't give your time and your resources and your talents and your gifts to God? What happens when you don't give? Let's talk about that as well. Well, first of all, when we don't, we're robbing God of what belongs to God, number one. But number two, you're robbing yourself of the blessing of what it means to give. And the Bible tells us that there is such a blessing to those to give to God. When we don't give to God, we rob God from what belongs to God. But you also are robbing yourself. We think, you know what, if I don't give to God, I'm going to have more. No, if you don't give to God, you're going to rob yourself of the blessing in giving to the Lord. Right? There's only one time in the Bible throughout the entire scripture that God says, all right, but you want to, let's talk about money. You want to talk about money? Test me now then. Try me. There's only one time that God says in throughout the entire Bible, He says to try Him. You know, God says not to tempt Him. There's one time that God says, try me. And that's found in Malachi. Now in Malachi, he says this, Will a man rob God yet? You have robbed me. Through Malachi the prophet, he's talking now to the nation of Israel. He says, But you saying, What have we robbed you, God? 
And now he responds in tithes and offerings. You have, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbing for even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes in the store to all, into the storehouses, that there may be food in my house. Bring your offerings so that there will be food and needs in the house. And try me in this, says the Lord. Try me in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not enough room to receive. Well, isn't this a point in Scripture where God says, try me? And see if I don't bless your obedience. God will always bless your obedience. Understand that. And it may look different in different ways, in different capacities. It may not always look the same way, but God blesses the obedience of the church. Right? You think about how far reaching a ministry or our ministry can be. If all of us consistently, cheerfully, and sacrificially gave to the local church. How far reaching our ministry can become and be. Right? Think about what can happen when we start to make investments in the kingdom of God this way. And we start to now give to expand the borders of ministry. To expand the borders of ministry. I always think, man, I I never want it to be where the church says we cannot do this and money be the excuse, the reason. No, because we as a church are saying we're taking this responsibility and saying now that we want the church to be what its name is, alive. There was a story about a young little girl that got a puppy and after her puppy had passed away, she was crying. And she was talking to her friend and, and she says, you know what? When I was raising the puppy, it cost me a lot of money. And as it grew and it started to develop, it cost me more money. And you know what? Then it started to even have its own puppies and it, it cost me more money than that because it had its own children. It started to grow and reproduce and those puppies had more puppies and it cost me so much money. But it's, he stopped, the, 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 my, my, my dog stopped costing me money as soon as it died. As soon as it died, when it was dead, it stopped costing me any money. You see, as long as the church is alive, it will cost us. It is when the church dies, it is when the church dies that it will cost us nothing. Do you see the responsibility that we have now when it comes to our giving? That we can give from the perspective and from the mission-minded person that would say, I want to give. See, the mission-minded person, number one, is always giving. But now we're going to go into verse 5 because the mission-minded person not only is always giving, the mission-minded person is always planning for the future. Is always planning for the future, right? And what are they planning for for the future now? For ministry, for ministry, and it tells us this. Now, I will come to you when I have passed through Macedonia. He's already thinking of his next trip. I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. Macedonia was a small church in Philippi, or Philippi, a small church in Macedonia, right? And as he was a, this small church, he said, I'm a missionary. I'm passing through that church, and after I pass through that church, I'm going to come and I'm going to stay with you guys. But think about what Paul is doing. He's the mission-minded servant. He says, we're mission-minded, so we're going to talk about giving. We're mission-minded, so we're going to plan for the future. Are you planning for the future? Do you have vision for what God wants to do? One thing we know here from Paul, that he is not content with his present accomplishments and victories. You know when God stops to use the church? When we become content with our current accomplishments and victories, God will stop to use the church and the church will not grow. 
When we say, oh, Lord, we've arrived. These are our current accomplishments, Lord. Thank you so much because you've given us a place. What are the next now plans that God is birthing in you as a church so that we can go beyond the walls of what we, where we are right now, right? And always plan for the future to never be content with the current accomplishments in ministry. You know what he's telling us and teaching us here, Paul, in verse 5 and 6? To do God's work God's way. God's work, God's way. I want to do more. I want to do more. I, what can we do? I want to pass through Macedonia. Then I'm going to go there. He was, had plans for ministry because he was a real missionary. Right? And he's saying, I'm going to move forward. And verse 6, it says, It may be that I will remain, or even if I spend the winter with you, that you may send me or my journey wherever I go. I'm going to show up there and I hope that I can stay and spend the winter with you there. But his entire mindset here is, I don't want to put limits and I don't want to put borders when it comes to ministry. You know, sometimes we put borders and limits to ministry where we say, this is, we're, we're okay with this. No, when you have a mentality and you're a mission-minded servant, you say, Lord, we want to go farther. We want our ministry to be farther reaching than it, what it was last year, than it is today, because we have the mentality that how much more or how many more people can we save for the Lord? There was a Coast Guard rescue swimmer, a very young amateur Coast Guard rescue swimmer. They went out in a storm onto a boat. And as he went into the storm onto a boat, in a hundred, over a hundred people that were on deck and this Coast Guard rescue swimmer goes onto the boat and he starts to, one by one, start to take out, you know, one person, rescue them. And after, after, every time he was, he would just choke up on all this water that he was suffocating from. And, and finally, you know, he could not do any more after exhaustion and heavy breathing and whatnot. And he, he, he now was now laying down now on, on a different type of deck and their ship and his partner is asking him, are you okay? And he's looking him in the eyes and shaking him, are you okay now? And suffocating out of breath, this young man in his first initial years of his career says, tell me how many I say." And he says, hey, you should be very proud of yourself. You saved 17 people from that ship. And he starts to nod his head. And he says, if I could have only saved more. You see, sometimes in our very beginning years, we have more zeal and say, could I have only saved more? Can we have this mentality where we are more far-reaching than ever? that we're planning for the future, that we don't put any limits to our mentality that God can only wants to do this. God wants to do much more than this. I get so just amazed by God as He opens the door without us even seeking them even throughout the week. And I'm thinking, Lord, make this ministry so far-reaching. And I pray that, and then the Lord gives me a call, and I'm like, are you serious, Lord? <laughs> you really want to make it that far-reaching? You know what Paul reminds us here? That his confidence in the future was not in his own abilities. It wasn't in his own abilities. His confidence wasn't in himself. His confidence was in God himself. It was in God himself. He put the future in God's hand. He said, you know what, God, we're not going to put any limits. We're not going to put any borders to this ministry, right? And we know that we have confidence in God himself, that in the power of God, in divine enablement, we can go and face that and do great things for the Lord, right? 
Because he did not allow his humanness or his weakness to hold him back or to limit him. There are often times in our lives, I'll tell you, all of us go through this. Where you start to think, Lord, you cannot do that with me. Why me, Lord? Paul didn't say, why me? He said, you know what? I know you can because we're serving the Lord. And sometimes we think, who am I, God, that you can use me this way? But God does want to use you that way. And He doesn't want you to put limits to that ministry. In Ephesians 3.20, the Bible tells us that to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundant above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. What, what power is that? It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And if the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything you can ask or imagine because the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You think about it, that's how God wants to use my life? Absolutely. That's how God wants to use my life, above and beyond anything you can imagine and think about. Paul did not just talk about going forward. He didn't just talk about, I'm going forward. He actually went forward. He didn't just talk about reaching out. He actually went out. Paul didn't just say, I'm a missionary. He was actually a missionary. He actually really fought the fight. And he actually really ran the race. Now, how are we? Are we really fighting the fight and running the race? Because the mission-minded servant will always be giving to the Lord's work. And number two, the mission-minded servant will always be planning for the future. Never content in their present accomplishments. Do not be content with the present accomplishment in the Lord. Because God wants to do more. The best is yet to come. Now in verse 7, it tells us, that the mission-minded servant is also always flexible. Now, are you flexible today? Or are you just saying, God, if you don't do it this way, then I, I'm not in it. <laughs> be flexible. Be ready to bend and, and break and say, I want to go this way. If the Lord wants to go this way, then we'll go this way. If the God just changes up, then we'll go that way. You see, when you grow up and learn ministry the way Paul was going through trials and tribulations, you learn to be flexible. You, you ask yourself, Lord, why is it that we have so many trials in the ministry? God said, perfect, so that you learn to be flexible. Why is it that there are so many trials in your life sometimes? Because God wants to teach you to be flexible, right? Why is it that God all of a sudden changes your agenda or your schedule or timing that you once thought that you would have, but you're saying, you know, I'm not where I thought I wanted to be. No, God wants you to be flexible. And it teaches us this in verse 7. For I do not wish to see you not only on the way. I don't want to just pass by now when I go to Corinth after I've gone through Macedonia, but I hope to stay while I'm with you. I want to actually stay there. Usually he would just pass by. He's saying, I want to stay. I want to spend time with you. I want to spend time with you. But how does he say it? If the Lord permits. The mission-minded servant that is flexible will always say, if the Lord permits. Why he's saying if the Lord permits? Because if the Lord doesn't permit, then he's willing to go wherever God wants him to go. Right? He said, I have a desire to stay longer this time. I have a desire to stay longer with you this time. I have a desire to stay longer with you. But think about what he does with that desire. He puts that desire in the hands of God. When you're learning to be flexible, you're saying, I have this desire, but I'm putting it into the hands of God. Lord, you do what you want with that desire. That's what it means to be flexible, if the Lord wills. Because he understands that he wants to be in the will of God. That's the best place to be in, in the will of God. When you are flexible, you know, if God takes me over here in His will, then that's where I want to be. 
Because his hope is in the will of God. His hope is in the will of God. Notice that in verse 7, it says here, I hope. I hope. Verse 7, I hope. But verse 7, if the Lord permits. Is your hope in the will of God? Or, or you do you have hope outside of the will of God? The hope in the will of God is saying, Lord, it's your timing. And Paul was flexible. But are you are you flexible today where God wants to take you, where God wants to move you, what He wants to do in your life and within your life? I pray that today we would learn those things, those three simple things, that a, a mission of mine to serve will always be giving to the Lord's work. A mission of mine to serve will always be planning for the future. But number three, that the mission of mine to serve, what does it teach us and what does it tell us here? Thirdly, will always be flexible. May the Lord teach us to be flexible so that we can be in His will. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, and we ask God that today you would teach us to be that mission-minded servant. Lord, that we would not tuck our hands into the need, away from the need, Lord. That we would stretch out our hands, Lord, for the need. Lord, your, your word tells us that every time you healed someone, every time you met the needs, it said that you stretched out your hand, that you touched that person. Sometimes we have our hands tucked in so far deep that we are never to be used or able to be used by you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hands and heart, God. That we would be the mission-minded servants that are always giving to your work. The mission-minded servants that are always planning for the future. The mission-minded servants, Lord, that, that consistently, Lord, are flexible in your will, God. We want to be consistently flexible in your will, God. Change us, Lord. So that we, our, our worldview, when it comes to outreach, would be bigger, God. We pray, Lord, for all the needs of this church, that you would meet them. Lord, but not only meet the needs that are taking place right now. I pray that through our generosity, Lord, you would meet the needs of the doors that are opening in the future. That you would meet the needs of the doors that are opening in the future. Because we don't want to be content with the current accomplishments, God. We believe, Lord, that you want to use us beyond where we are today. In Jesus' name we pray. Together we say.